You're listening to the Scottish Football Forums podcast, the home of Scottish football banter. Hello, welcome to Season 10, Episode 34 of Scottish Football Forums podcast. I'm John and I've got another women's special, um, the Aberdeen Ladies Co-Manager, Emma Hunter. How are you doing, Emma? Thanks for coming on. No, you're welcome. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to chat a little bit about the game. Yeah, but you've come on. Um, you couldn't have picked the worst time to be on because um, um, the, the first defeat of the weekend um, and quite a, bit, a bad yeah. one. Uh, not a good day for Aberdeen in general, going down to Partick Thistle. No, I think, um, I think look, we knew, well, I think I knew as well that like this league's going to be really, really tough. It was only a matter of time probably before we'd probably hit a little blip and and not perform the, the way we want it to. And I think in this league, teams will punish us if we don't. And yeah, on Sunday, I think it was a mixture of a lot of different reasons, but that was our third away trip um, down to Glasgow. And I think we just really struggled to even get started. And um, I think part of this will give them the credit. They were really up for the game and pressed us, put us under so much pressure a lot of the time. And I think we just really struggled to to cope with that, um, especially the second half, we weren't the best. But look, it was, I, I think like we always knew that there would be a game like that that would maybe, it wouldn't go our way and, and would maybe lose. I don't think it would be, it would be a, a realistic goal to try and go undefeated in this league. But um, I think the manner in which we lost and by the amount of goals that we lost is a little bit, obviously something that we were frustrated by. So we've, uh, We've debriefed a lot about it as a group, and we've we've sort of like rallied together, and we were all chatting together about it. And I think what we did say was, is that this can either make or break us as a team. Um, so we're all just determined that it's going to make us, and maybe that was just what we needed in order to make us make sure we're always on our toes and to expect a tough game, no matter where we are, who we're playing, and to and to always be at the top of our game. So that's what we're going to focus on now going forward. Yeah, definitely. I mean, after winning six games, um, some players that could have been forgiven that complacency could set in. So maybe yeah. this defeat is actually a positive, although you don't want to lose and you don't want to lose by 5-1, but um, it could work out the other way that this is the kick up the backside that you need as well. Yeah, 100%. And we've all we've all put up our hands and that's not just the, the players themselves, that's the coaching team as well and, and says, mm-hmm. look, we every single game we've got to be on it, and this is maybe that reality check that if you're not if you're not on your game just once, you can be punished for it. So mm-hmm. um, this week we've already trained Tuesday, and uh, again we've, we've got a really good session with good tempo. So look, it, it, we're hoping it's just a blip, and um, we're gonna we're just gonna go all blinds gazing, all, all guns blazing again on Sunday. So. Yeah, do, do you know some? Um, I've been doing my homework, but one thing I forgot to write down: who are you playing this weekend? Yeah, Kilmarnock. I um, thought it was Kilmarnock. Yeah. Yeah, we've got Kilmarnock at home, and playing at home is always a bonus, especially during COVID. Um, we've found playing away really tough. Um, just the journey and, and the manner that you've got to go, and and the, the the time that you've got to actually settle when you get off the bus isn't enough time really. So, having a home fixture is a huge advantage, more so than it was before. Um. And a club like Aberdeen, who have got to travel, you know, every other week, it is it is difficult. So uh, having a home game will definitely help us, and we'll be up for it for sure. 
Yeah, definitely. And the home form's been pretty impressive. Obviously, you've won every game, but um, you know, you've, there's been lots of goals, four against Dundee United. That was a great um, comeback mm-hmm. to win that 4-3, 5-1 against uh, Queen's Park. And your last home game um, was certainly a good one, 8-1 against St. Johnson, um, which was not surprising Aberdeen won, but, but that score was quite surprising because St. Johnson had a not bad start of the season as well. Yeah, I think what Cormac Park gives us is just that a real home advantage because we're training on there. And um, we probably last season we didn't we played actually on a, an artificial pitch and then our games were on a a grass pitch which didn't help. So I think we've gone in playing at home with a lot of confidence, knowing we know the pitch. We know it's a it's a big pitch as well. The size really suits us um, because we can exploit a lot of the spaces in there. And and you know when we train we, we practice how we play, so we know exactly how 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 to play the ball etc. And how you know. Every AstroTurf can be different as well. I think the one at Partick Thistle was was um, had a lot of the the black rubble, so it, the ball moves really differently mm-hmm. on that. So it's it's a huge advantage just being able to train and and play at home. And I think yeah, the scores show that. So that's one thing that we'll we'll have is confidence playing at home and our on the pitch that we're comfortable playing on. Yeah, definitely. And let's hope that home advantage uh, works out for you. Um, it's the one um, negative, I suppose, is there's, um, again, no supporters. Um, I know that women's football don't get a lot of great crowds, unfortunately, but still, you must feel um, the effect that it's weird um, going out in the pitch knowing that there's nobody um, rolling you on. Yeah, I yeah, and you're, and you're right. It's Women's football is dif- different. It's the crowds that actually come to to watch. I don't think you really hear anything until you score a goal, etc. And that's when you really hear them. But um, yeah, it, it's it matters to the players. I think more than anything, as as a coach, I don't think it affects me. But the players just even having known that they've got support there, and a lot of the time it's family and friends as well. And Aberdeen have got quite a lot of um, avid fans, so we've got a lot of the men's game fans that actually come and watch us and, and like to be part of it and um, travel around as well with us so yeah it is it's a shame and I mean especially when you're when you're when you're playing in this league we've gone from playing in the the SWFL North now in the SWPL it's a big step up and it's a shame that you know people can't come and see that step up for us and actually some some really good entertaining football matches that I think they're missing out on so the sooner we can get people back the better um, and I think it'll just, in general, help women's football as well because I do feel that the game is growing and the evidence as well is on the pitch. I think the product on the pitch is a lot better now as well, and and that's from even our perspective. I think we're better this season than we were last season. So yeah, as soon as we can get them back, it'll be fantastic again. Yeah, definitely. And I think um, one thing I've noticed from the outside looking in um, is the investment that. Uh, clubs are, are putting into their own women's team. I mean, obviously Celtic Rangers have pretty much gone full time. Uh, Glasgow set up with their own affiliation anyway and have set a really high bar. Hibs have had um, success over the last few years. We're now noticing that with Aberdeen. It's, it can only be good for the game and it's, it's just a shame, as you say, you can't um, get people in because I, I know, I've no doubt that you would have had some community work out there to try and spread the word to get more fans in. So hopefully that will continue when um, you um, when. Nicola Sturgeon and Co say you can have fans in. Yeah, and I think actually you've touched on a good point there in terms of like the clubs getting behind the teams and that. But not only that, I think um, the SWF have done a fantastic job as well Mm -hmm. in terms of their promotion of of the leagues. And I think we're now seeing a lot of video coverage um, across like many clubs where they are putting up highlights we are seeing more more goals in the women's game and, and some entertaining you know um 
results, etc. So I think that the credit needs to go to the SWF as well about um, making that product that a little bit better as well, which hopefully if if people are seeing that, then it might entice them to actually come and watch it live as well. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I agree that the, the league have certainly, I've, I've noticed that on Twitter, that they've put a lot more highlights on like some of the best goals and they're quick with the results update as well, which yeah. is really good because that's what needs to start. You know, you need the, 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 your own league promoting it. Um, I mean, with regards, with regards to, um, you know, COVID, obviously, because you were preparing for getting into the new season, then COVID hit, and then there wasn't a peep um, from anyone about the women's game. Whilst then we were hearing, uh, you know, the bitching from the men's side, if you want my brutal honest opinion, <laughs> there was nothing There was nothing um, being said about the women's game in the, the media, which I thought was disgraceful before the eventualists came with the null and void. From your perspective as a, um, as a manager, how frustrating was the lack of coverage at that point, given that the women's game had come up so much and there was a lot of dignity compared to what was going on um, upstairs in the men's game? I think that's women's football for you when you mention the word dignity. I think like that's something that the women's game's probably um, been good for, is um, that dignity. And I think like in all forms, we've, we've got that and we go about things in the right manner and things like that in terms of the women's game and and even like I, I talk about the product I think like um all you see when you watch women's football is a real determination to go play for your country and your team etc so yeah I think that in general is is good about the women's game uh, yeah I, I understand about that there probably wasn't enough being said about the women's game I think there was from my perspective I think there was a real lack of understanding as well about where we sat in terms of the women's game and I think that's becoming clearer um, we've obviously seen a, a few clubs such as Celtic and Rangers um, uh, and a few others that have been for some time becoming professional but there's a real mixture within the women's game at the moment there's a lot of clubs that you know are, are, are just new like ourselves we're just getting to grips with having a women's team in Aberdeen and, and Hearts are similar etc so in terms of like where we sit in terms of like are we a professional league or are we not that was really unclear at the time I think as well which made it difficult I think that is now becoming a bit more clear that it is being recognised as a professional league um, I also think there was a real concern around um, income and money and I think um, that was one of the, the one of the real things that again if we wanted to carry on playing football I think we all knew that that would come at a cost with testing and I think just the fact that the women's game doesn't have that type of money to allow us to test players. Um, again, I think it was just really difficult to know um, if that was something we could facilitate or not. So I think it was just a, a bit of like mixed emotions about how you felt things would go rather than, than anything else. And I think um, the women's game, especially in Scotland, women's football, it's still at its early stages of growth. Um, so I think... I think, yeah, I think we need to be louder, though. I think I agree with you. I think, like, it's all of our responsibilities to maybe shout a little bit more for the women's game. And that's probably um, what a lot of people are trying to do at the moment and try and fight for, for our place in, in, in um, sport and in football. Not just football, but sport in general, I think. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. And I think the women's game in the last few years is more than end its right in Scotland, you know, given the fact that um, the Scotland ladies' side of qualify for two tournaments in a row, some that the men took 22 years to finally get over the line, thankfully. So I think they've they've more than earned the right. There's no question for me that, um, you know, the media should um, could do more. Podcasters, including myself, could do more to promote the game. Um, but as you say, 
a lot of it's got to come within um, from within. But how much support have you had from Dave Cormack over this? Because obviously he's the chairman of Aberdeen, but I'd assume that he has some role with um, looking out for the ladies' team too. Yeah, I think um, Dave Cormack, when, since he's come in, it's not just been about the football side. And I think you can see that with the community trust work that we've done, etc. Mm-hmm. as well. So he sees... He sees like the bigger picture and how we all um, come together. Um, I think like the club in general have have been really supportive of the women's game. And, you know, as soon as we could get back to Cormac Park where we're back in and when we're training um, and, you know, we're getting, you know, bigger buses to get down to games, etc. And they're really supporting us in that way. Um, and again, I think like it was never, it, again, it was difficult because, again, I go back to that clarity on, there was no clarity really given as to if you wanted to play, this is what it would cost, etc. So at the time, there there was no there was no answers or no no way that Dave could probably step up and say, well, I'm willing to invest X, Y, and Z because that was never made clear really. So it was it was really difficult. But yeah, look, the club has now become a different club. Um, it, it thinks now more about the community, the women. Um, just opportunities for everyone really and that's something that you know Dave Cormack's really proud of and he's also looking at the future so he's not just looking at um, the fans now but looking at young fans so looking at girls and boys to try and get them engaged with the club nice and early um, so that they're fans of the future so yeah I think he's got a, a more broad approach to to making sure that everyone's sort of catered for and we're looking out for the whole community in Aberdeen and not just men's football or women's football. Yeah, one of, one of the things that's shown through from um, the COVID scenario was the work um, the Aberdeen Community Trust did. I mean, obviously, I'm I'm an Aberdeen supporter. I'm going to say that, but um, if, but if it's easy for me to say. I say, but I think it was recognised um, from out with, and the fact that players were phoning fans to make sure they're okay. I thought it was an absolute touch of class because it's not something that needs to be done. They've also done it at the kindness of their heart, um, and you're obviously. Heavily involved with the community trust to see. Um, so just talk uh, talk a lot about about the work that you do with the community trust. Yeah, so I've it's just been over a year now that I've been working for the community trust. It was almost the same time as I became the women's manager. So essentially, my day job is to work with the community trust, and then in the in the evenings and etc. to work with the women's team. So um, yeah, I I um, came in uh, just over a year ago as. Um, the lead for football for life pillar which was looking at all the sort of football activities that goes on in the community trust such as holiday programs and things like that my role sort of evolved when Cormac Park opened just having a bit of experience in operations and things so I now sort of look after Cormac Park in terms of the community trusts allocation of time at Cormac Park which is fantastic to see that facility being used not just by the first team, the women's team, the academy, but also we open it up to the community as well. So mm-hmm. um, that's mainly what my role is. But I think the community trust, what we're really good at is just being so dynamic and we probably don't really have job roles. I think we just all pitch in and we're just one one community. And if you need to go out and deliver food parcels, we'll all get involved and, and we just help. And that's what really makes it special. Um, and I think the Still Standing Free campaign which is what the club worked on during the COVID um, pandemic was, is that we all would just work together. So the club, the community trust, the community trust has done uh, work over the last five years um, and has won a plethora of awards and things. So they'd already done a lot of good work, but I think having the club just more aligned to what we were trying to do 
during the, the COVID uh, pandemic just really, really helped. And I think, yeah, you've seen the stadium manager going out and delivering food parcels, our commercial director going out to deliver food parcels. And like you said, the first team um, just pitching in and making calls. And that's what it was all about. We just all absolutely came together and did what we could um, to make sure that people um, well, were helping support the local community. So, yeah, it was still standing free is probably one of the one of the highlights over the last few years um, in terms of what we've been able to achieve. That's oh, fantastic. And uh, keep up keep up the good work. Uh, you mentioned Cormac Park being involved at Cormac Park. It's a tremendous facility. It's been there for um, just over a year now. Um, no, I mean, from outsiders, from fans' point of view, we obviously see it as players get the opportunity to stay behind and train, which is a good thing. But I suppose from a women's point of view, because um, I imagine that you, you girls train at night because of the day jobs, they can come in a bit early if they want and, and start their training if they wanted to as well. So it must be great from your yeah. point of view. Well, it's obviously like we we never got really. I felt like we didn't really get started, and and then um, COVID's come along, and that's restricted a lot of the access, etc., right. which makes it difficult. I think, yeah, I think like having, I think like it's really difficult. You you can say like having the facilities fantastic, it opens loads of doors, but I think as well that you you run the risk as well of like this. Oh, that's great facility to become complacent as a club. Mm-hmm. And that's something that we're really trying not to be. Is that like probably Aberdeen's got a really deep, rich history from having to train at Bulgarian playing fields um, and getting on buses to get there and come back, etc. And to do as well as um, the Youth Academy have done and obviously like the first team, etc. Having that, um, it can be easy now that you've got this on your doorstep to become complacent. So I think that's one of the club's key objectives is to make sure they've still got that um, coaching environment the right way, the same as it was before, etc. Um, and look, we all know like 3G pitches, um, and especially in, in Scotland, you know, it's it's difficult. There's still not enough of them and it's still it's still really difficult. It's fully booked in the evenings, so it is difficult to just be able to go in and say, oh, I'm away to go and train because I've got some time because it's actually getting used most of the time. So, I mean, it's 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 a, a wonderful facility, but yeah, it, it's it's been really heavily used as well. So that's uh, a big challenge as well to make sure that you're coordinating. You know, you've got under-11s all the way up to the women's first team training on these pitches. It's difficult to timetable it, so... Yeah, it's a it's a great facility, and I think the biggest thing is having the strength and conditioning as well. In the same building, um, it used to be that we'd go to Pataudry. Um, everything's under one roof, so it means that if you've got a couple of injured players, they can go and do a bit of a gym work, or if they need to see the physio that night, they can see them while they're training. I think that's really the big difference for us: is that everything's under one roof now, and it's a lot easier to access. Yeah. Yeah, that's no, it's a good thing, but it's good that you've given us that insight that um, it's not everything. It seems there's a lot of hard work that goes on as well. So it's oh, um, good that you've um, yeah. given that. So I don't, I don't envy you there. Um, yeah. With the gar- um, with the gas to uh, the COVID situation, so obviously that hit. Um, you obviously would have had to d- done. When I spoke to Debbie, um, she was talking about looking after the mental health side of things as well as the, the making sure they were physically fit. Um, that must have been a challenging point for you just to even um, make sure that your players first and foremost, their mental health was all right and then you can worry about the physical condition later. Yeah, look, um, there's no hiding it. A, a few players came back really struggling and we had to try and manage that. And I think what 
what we did do during in lockdown was just stay in touch with each other. Um, we tried, we did Zooms and we did like um, quiz nights and things like that just to try and keep everyone occupied. Um, and that's something that we really pride ourselves in as a, as a group. We use this mantra, one team all the time, because that's what we feel mm-hmm. we want to be is just make sure it doesn't matter how old you are. We've got players that are, you know, in their 30s and, you know, have, have worked and working full time. And then we've got players in our squad that are 16 and still at school. So that we're all so different, but we try and all come together and, and we're really good at that. We all we all blend really well. So we all just looked out for each other. We um, we were sent, obviously, a lot of stuff that we could do from the sports scientists. Um, and what we did do as well, we just got together and, and started helping the community trust as a group. We felt like that was something that you know the women's team that's what we pride ourselves in as well what part of our philosophy and our values is is to be part of the club and um, so we made sure that we went out and delivered food parcels and we did a 24-hour run to try and support the community trust and we managed to raise um, six and a half thousand pounds for them doing that um, and so yeah we just we just all stuck together and I think like it, it was important that we reintroduced people back to training in the correct manner so we phased that approach back in we did individual interviews and um, calls with people just to find out how they were feeling about things um, and yeah look we had a couple of players that needed a break and um, they found it quite tough coming back so um, some of them just took a short break and now they're trying to get back in so yeah that was the most important part of this whole situation especially when you're when women's football at the moment we're all at the moment still doing this as part of a hobby it's not our jobs. It's not, mm-hmm. you know, they've still got day jobs to do, etc. So it was really important to look out for them. Um, and yeah, we we probably had um, the same sort of response as what Spartans did. Yeah, definitely. But that's that's good. That, um, you're um, looking out for them first and foremost as people ahead of yeah. anything else. And that's one th- that's one stigma um, in football that's thankfully. Um, getting shortened because um, mental health has become more and more prominent, more people are, are coming out talking and I think that's only good there's obviously still a lot of other stereotypes and um, things to overcome like when I spoke to Debbie we mentioned that um, there's no female coaches um, in the men's game, not not even like as a first team coach or anything like that mm. but even in, the, even in the women's game you're one of only three managers in, out of the 18, I mean that um how disappointing is that? I get that, obviously, um, like, for example, Glasgow City of Scott Booth, they wouldn't want to replace Scott Booth because the job he's done. And um, Leanne Crichton says that she, would, she wouldn't work for anyone else but um, Scott Booth right now. But, um, uh, well, she don't want to de- deter men from applying for jobs um, at the same point uh, because it, it has to go in merit. But it must be a little bit disappointing that the women's game doesn't have enough females in the top position. I totally agree with you about the whole merit thing and I think that's one of the biggest challenges is that um, we need to find a way to get um, give women the confidence and also get them to that level um, and I think like if I, if I use myself as an example so I probably played football at quite a high level and and, and, and the highest level that I probably could have played that but that wasn't professional mm-hmm. that was um, obviously representing my country at youth level and then going across to the US um, to play a little bit in college. Um, but that wasn't, it wasn't full time. I, I, I've never had that opportunity to to be in a professional football environment as a player. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say that you need that to be a good coach. I don't, I don't believe that at all. But I think as well as is, is it, it, it does make it more difficult 
to then sort of break in. I think hopefully, I, I think definitely in the future, we've got now some of these players that have, that is their jobs to play football. And hopefully that then maybe, you know, allows them to become, become more coaches in the future. I think if you think about the men's game, most coaches, you know, bar some come from playing careers all the way through and then go through badges and and get supported by the club that they maybe play for to then help them get into coaching and I think that's the missing part at the moment so I think we will always be behind in terms of getting more and more female coaches involved but I think that will come eventually I think at the moment what we need to try and do is is try and find a way to to I guess you're, you're, you highlighted the media. I think the media have got a big part to, to play in this as well, is to, to promote female coaches and to try and um, use them as role models to try and get younger people more engaged in it. And hopefully, even if it starts out that we get more female coaches involved in grassroots football at the moment, and then we can try and get them. But yeah, I think a lot of these ex-players at the moment that are playing professional, hopefully we'll see them stepping up to find and coaching and, and managerial careers in the game, and I think that'll that'll start to evolve eventually, anyway, and quite naturally. Um, but yeah, look, it's really, it, um, and I think the main reason that maybe this is just me again personally, the main reason that I probably have never thought about going into the men's game. It, it, I'm not necessarily scared or worried. I, I don't think that that's the problem. I think um, I have a passion in women's football because. I maybe didn't get the opportunities that I wanted. I'm trying to develop the women's game and to be involved in it because I'm so passionate about it. I think that's maybe part of the reason as well. Is, is it we've maybe we've grown up in women's football and and trying to 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 make it better. So I think that's where you know that's where my heart is and that's where it belongs at the moment. That's not to say that I would never think about coaching a men's team or getting involved in a men's game eventually. But um, again, I need that experience. So I need to build up my experience as well to try and get to the top. So, um, And I've been a coach ever since I was 16, so that's a long time. So I've been building up for quite a long time now. Yeah, good stuff. And I've got to do that. I've got to do that with a balance because I've got to do this as a part-time job. This is this is the first time that I've had a, like, um, a paid role in coaching really over the last few years. It's always been voluntary. So that's been a real challenge as well, isn't it, that... You know, there's not many, there's not many paid roles out there either that you can pick up. And even in in the men's game, it's difficult for young coaches to find those roles as well. I think, um, it's it's a challenge to try and find that. So yeah, yeah, definitely. Because these coaching badges aren't cheap either, from what from what I'm reading. Um, so yeah. if you're a young if you're a young male and you're you've been released by clubs or you weren't good enough um to get to, to a club, just even going through college first of all and then taking these coaching badges that's difficult um so it's about knowing where you are so probably what you've been doing you know voluntary work probably helped you get to mm. position you and um kudos to you for that but in terms of role models for for women um i think there's no bigger example right now than Shelley Kerr, the job that she's been doing with the national team um she had a, a spell as a um manager of a males team albeit at lowland league level still in uni um i mean she's certainly someone to look, at, look up to as well yeah, and I think yeah, a hundred percent. And I think um, I think that again, if we, if we, if we look at Shelley as a as a known character in Scotland, I would say that yeah, probably a lot of people do know Shelley. But I think like again, we just need to make sure that 
you were the media are using that and mm-hmm. and using Shelley as a role model to try and, and help promote the women's game and to get young women who maybe stop playing football to get involved in coaching. And I do know that SFA have got are, are working hard on, you know, making sure that there's female only coaching courses for those that are comfortable just to do that, etc. So that's something that they are looking to do and to develop and and FIFA have invested huge amounts of money in, and and the coaching side of it will definitely be be within that strategy. So I'm sure we'll see a lot more coming out of it, but it will happen eventually. I think it is disappointing, like you said, to say that there's only a few female coaches in the game, and I think probably it's become less rather than more over the last decade. There has been yeah. quite a few women that have dropped out and maybe become more in the backroom staff, and as opposed to to coaching but it's a tough job as well um in in that industry so um you have to be really really committed and and it's difficult when you know it's sometimes these roles aren't aren't secure or you you know you don't have it's not huge amounts of money either so you have to have always a backup in in terms of your career yeah, without a doubt. Um, to be, I mean, to be fair to the media, whilst we highlight some things that they could do more of, and we've said that there is a lot of work to be done, there is a step in the right direction as well with the fact that you're now getting um, games on the BBC website, you're getting games on Alba. Um, so the, the coverage is starting to get a little better. You're obviously seeing likes of Leanne Crichton and Julie Fleet and appearing, um, and Shelley herself appearing regularly as pundits. Um, and they're just as good. They've shown that they're just as good as their male equivalents on them um, on sports scene as well, which um, which shows it's more than just a tick box exercise. Yeah, and that's massive credit to them. I think like the more people that we can get doing that, the better. Yeah, I I totally agree. I think it is slowly slowly getting better, and yeah, it's just um, I guess like it's that snowball effect, isn't it? It's like once it starts rolling hopefully it'll just get bigger and bigger and hopefully we can just see more and more happening but yeah um and I guess like we we have to be realistic as well in terms of like um getting that exposure we have to I, I don't like to use the word earn it but I think as well that we all have a responsibility in the women's game to make sure that we're continuously bringing the level up and up and up so that you know we have got um an entertaining um, games to watch etc and, and, and it will be worthwhile switching the TV on to watch it and I definitely think the World Cup, Cup when we were in Scotland and that definitely helped but I guess it's now just trying to keep building on that and to make sure that there's more and more on the TV um, and that the Scottish League hopefully if we all just keep working really hard on that that we can bring the level up and the product to be really better as well so that you know people aren't going to, the broadcasters aren't going to put things on TV if people aren't going to watch it. So that's that's the main thing as well. We need to make sure that, you know, we're, we're building up that product to be as good as it can be. Yeah, definitely. And um, the, the, obviously Scotland are playing Portugal tomorrow and as we speak. And uh, I think it's, yeah, Tuesday they're playing um, Finland. That's the, the two crucial qualifiers. Um, unfortunately, Shelley can't um, be at the games because of the, Covid issues, which I won't go into. Um, mm. But again, you know, those are games that you'd like to see, like the players coming out and really, you know, you know how you see it with Premier Sports with the 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 count cards and showing what games on. That could could be done with Alba as well to try and promote that further um, as well. Um, but hopefully, hopefully Scotland do the job to them over these next two games. It's going to be a big game. Yeah, you're right. I think like I guess the the build up to the the men's Scotland game. Um, 
against Serbia when they were looking to qualify was was so built up, I think. And I'd love to see that a little bit more for the women's game again. Because, yeah, you're right. Um, it's it's a massive opportunity for us again in, the, in Scotland for the women's game. But, yeah, I think, um, yeah, two massive games. And, and again, I think, like, we know... We, Shelley must have a, feel a lot of pressure on that because we know that, you know, in Scotland, if the women's national team continue to do well, we'll, we'll only see, you know, the local game doing better and benefiting from it across the board. So there is that bit of pressure, as with the men's team as well, obviously. Um, and financially, there's rewards as well. So there's so much pressure comes with it. But look, this the Scotland team that we've got has got so much quality. Yeah. They're playing in the best leagues around the world at the moment. So we have got some real quality players that are more than capable of, uh, of of getting us there. So yeah, we should have real faith in them. Um, and yeah, it's exciting to watch. Like I I love watching it. I'd love to see that, um, more and more people just talking about it and saying that they're looking forward to the match, etc. In the next couple of weeks. So yeah, it, it's it's exciting. I'm looking forward to these two games um, over the next couple of days. And we talk about the the, Scot- the the men's team, the pressure on them, because two Scotland's games um, in the years at Hamden, the other one's at Wembley. This one, the tournament's done in England. So there's an extra carrot uh, incentive for um, the Scotland women's team to make sure they get to those Euros because they don't want to um, see a Euros down south and Scotland not be there. It just wouldn't sit right. Yeah, I know. And I, I guess like... What what the, the Scotland women's team have actually done is is that they've actually shown that they can deal with that pressure. They've they've done it like already, you know, so they know that they can deal with it. And uh, like I said as well, I think they they can have confidence in the players that they've got in that squad and and what they've built up and through their their experiences already of playing in these big stages. I think like they're they're more than ready for it. So um, yeah, I guess obviously Shelley will be disappointed that she can't be there, but I'm sure they'll they'll be prepared and, and Andy will I'll have um, instructions on how to get them playing etc so I, I think they'll, they'll they'll be fine um, and yeah I'm really looking forward to watching it. Yeah hopefully they get six points because um, obviously after losing to Finland which they should have won they, they yeah. had so many chances especially the first half of that game but I think Kim Little being back in will ma- make a massive difference to the team as well. Yeah huge and I think um just the way that she can control the midfield and things as well and and just that level of experience that's that's really critical as well as just someone that's been there and done it so many times at so many different levels I think um she definitely adds a real quality in there and and yeah like having come back will be fantastic and knowing that she's from the north we're always a little bit more um supportive of Kim and Rachel when they're on in the squad so we we love seeing that up here. Yeah, I like I like the fact that she, of course, is the captain. She's also a big Aberdeen fan, and she's she's such a brilliant player as well, such a really good defender. Um, so when people when people say the last got to captain Scott in the major finals, it's actually her, not Colin Henry. I think that's good to um, fall back on as well. Um, so yeah, let's hope they get the the six points, which would be um, massive, and hopefully taking our steps to the um, to go down to England for the European Championships, which is now going to be Euro 22. Um, mm-hmm. So back to yourself in, um, in Aberdeen. So I understand the Aberdeen's women's team only really came into formation last year, um, be- having taken over from the original Aberdeen ladies. How did that come about? I think there was always a, a small affiliation in terms of... Um, the club just supporting them when and how they could. Um, I think obviously Aberdeen ladies is 
it's been a they've been a massive side for so long in the Scottish women game, going back decades and decades where they've been in the top league for so long. They've had, you know, um some really qual- quality players, Scotland players, etc. So they've got a rich history. Um and I think um as the seasons have gone on and you've started to see more and more clubs being supported by the men's team, whether or not or and obviously Glasgow City that were self funded, etc. So it became really difficult for Aberdeen ladies as they started to to sort of fall down the league slightly. Um a lot of players not just for for reasons that Aberdeen Football Club weren't behind it, but obviously like had moved on. So, you know, your likes of Rachel, um Rachel McLaughlin as well, who'd gone down to Hibs, who'd lost Shannon McGregor down to Hibs as well. Emily Much, who's a goalkeeper um, down in Edinburgh as well. So look, we kept losing these quality, quality players um, down south. Um, and, it, and I think it just became really challenging. And I think Aberdeen just had a, an unfortunate couple of years. And I think the club had seen that and thought that it was their opportunity maybe to try and and just get behind them. It was it was their time to step in really and to, and try and and get the club back where it belongs. So that was their intention was to come in and and try and build a, a squad that would then go right back up into the SWPL one to compete again. And uh, a good first season um, going through that undefeated. Um, and it started off a five one one over Inverness. Um, did you have confidence from that game on that you were going to go and win the league? I d- I still remember that game. It was. Horrible game. I think like myself and Harley had only been appointed weeks before that game, so we didn't have much time to prepare. And I guess that would have been the first indication of where we were at as a squad and what we had and how we were going to deal with things. And and Inverness were probably one of the teams that we knew would probably push us to get promotion. So that was always going to be a tough first game. So I, I, I remember just being really, really nervous about how it was going to go. We hadn't really spent enough time with them to really um, know that they were playing a certain style that we were comfortable with, etc. But um, yeah, we knew we had quality players, so that was that was never a doubt. So th- that was one of the most important games, I think, just to see where we were at and, and get that confidence knowing that Inverness as a top team that we went and, and managed to beat them at home. So I still remember that game really well. Um, and it was a big relief more than anything else, I think, that just to get that first victory and, and you're just in the door. Um, so that it was it was more relief than anything else. And then we just knew we could just build from there. Um, I think being in the SWFL One North was really helpful. I think the first, it gave us a year where we knew we had good players Um we just give us time to sort of really ingrain what we, how we wanted to play, how we wanted the team to be, um, really have a clear philosophy, set our values of who, who we wanted to be and then just take it from there. And I think it allowed us to sort of try things as well, um, try different ways of playing and, and, and just spending time on focusing on key areas. It wasn't, we didn't have to necessarily try and prepare a certain way to build from the back because we're playing against a high press because I think most teams would sit off of us so we were able to sort of um, build some, the way we wanted to play H- having said that did it really prepare us for SWPL2 mm, I think it, it, we always knew that it would be tough coming into this league and trying to get back to back promotions um, because we knew that we'd probably come up against a lot of teams that would would play different styles against how we played, which we've definitely seen that. So, yeah, it's going to be a challenge this year. 
So you mentioned you also um, had Harlow him down there last season. Um, this year at Stuart Bathgate, uh, how did that how did that come about that Stuart um, came in um, to replace Harley? So the, yeah, so the, um, Stuart obviously the the club just have their protocols for em- employing people, so um, they just went out and advertised for the role, and obviously um, em- employed um, Stuart. So he came on board, um, and unfortunately, as soon as he came in, we almost went in straight into that lockdown. So it was a really difficult time for him to to come in and to get to know the squad, etc. But I guess what it did give him was a bit of time with no pressure and no games so you could get to know the players a little bit during lockdown and things like that. So, yeah, it's been um, it's been a real challenge as well during COVID. Um, I think we would be doing things a lot differently than what we are now. We can't, you know, we're not getting together in the same room, etc. So we're finding that quite mm-hmm. challenging, but we're picking up the phone a lot and, and making sure we're having loads of conversations. Yeah, and how does the co-management um, work for for you guys? Um, obviously, you've seen mixed results um, in other leagues. Like Stuart Kettlewell um, worked well with um, Stephen Ferguson at Ross County before Ferguson moved up to Chief Exec. Famous Aberdeen had Alex Smith and Jockey Scott. How does it work um, with uh, you and Stuart? I think um, each. Obviously, I've gone from um, having two different co-managers so I think each one is so different so the way that me and Harley worked is not necessarily the way that me and Stuart are going to work and I think also the club are obviously really aware that um, a co-manager is all slightly different so when they interview for the candidates they look at the different types of styles of people and make sure that they can match and using maybe what their strengths are and my strengths are to pull together so yeah I mean it You've you've got to be you've got to be really open minded and and make sure that you know um, we discuss things we challenge each other which is a good thing as well um, we make sure that there's we have we have certain times where you know Stuart the, the squad know that Stuart's in sort of taking charge at this point and I'm doing it at this point and so there's real clarity and there's no really talking over each other and things but it's just about building that relationship and just making sure that. You're always on the same page, and um, you're always working together. So yeah, it can be it can be challenging at times for sure, but it also has so many different rewards that you you know you can use as well when you've got that sort of partnership. Yeah, and obviously the pr- promotion is the main aim. Um, there's two promotion spots. Fortunately, you're top of the league at the moment. Um, but how challenging do you think it will be for you to to make sure you stay there because there's some decent size in that league. Yeah, really challenging. Um, and I mean, the season's quite long. So, th- like you know, we've got thirty games, which is all is quite tough. Um, and we're only six games in, so it is going to be a, a long season. I think injuries is going to play a major part with our squad. We tried to make sure that we had a a depth of squad as well, so that we could cope with that. And we've already had a few really quite serious injuries that's made it quite difficult for us. I think with COVID as well, you've always got to make sure that you know you've got that flexibility in your squad as well. We've obviously got the under 19 squad that we can use, and we have utilised that over the last few weeks because mm. we've had a few injuries. Um, yeah, we last season it'll be the same as this season. We just had to take it game at a time. And you could never look too far ahead because you just don't know what's around the corner. I think the biggest challenge for us this season is, especially now that you know we had those few games undefeated, we're top of the league. I think when teams come to play us, they're they're really up for it. I think they've they've got a real passion to 
to try and to try and beat us because we are up there at the moment. Um, they do their homework on us a lot, so they know that um, they need to come in with a game plan and um, to make sure that you know they get success. So we're always coming up against the game plans, um, which is football, obviously. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's going to be a real challenge, and I think um, we're such a. I speak about this all the time, but inexperience isn't isn't necessarily the pro the problem or it's going to cause us a problem i think it's just um having players that have been in these situations before and and can deal with them and and have the confidence that they know they can deal with them i think having such a young squad is 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 definitely going to be challenging in that sense i think we've we've probably got three four five sort of more experienced players but the the rest are still under 18 um so they're still learning a lot in the game, and and especially in this league now we've gone from SWFL one north to quite a big jump. That it's um you know some of the information is you know it's now becoming more and more in terms of how we want to play, how we want to set up, what do we do if um the opposition do this, and so it's now starting to become like um taking in a lot more information. But these young players are all like international youth players they've you know they've got bright futures ahead of them they all want to be footballers and that's a massive advantage they all train really hard a lot of them are part of the north performance hub which is um, an sfa funded scheme essentially all the younger players get to train um, in the mornings so they're doing that four extra times a week unfortunately due to covid that's not happening so again some of our players that are used to training six seven times a week are now a lot less than that due to COVID. So I think just maintaining that that fitness for such a long season and and making sure that you know we're switched on for every single game and we've just been punished for that on Sunday. So it's going to be really really challenging. But um, we're more than confident in this squad and yeah, yeah, we're we're definitely still aiming to go straight back up. Yeah, well, let, let's hope so. I mean, um, the. Um, what what I will say is, um, so far the results have been very good on the pitch. So far, that you just got to hope that um, they learn quickly from the the defeat, um, and yeah. they build up, and it'll be a real test of their, men, um, their mental strength if they can get over the defeat that quickly by winning at the weekend. Yeah, this this uh, leagues are going to be exciting. I mean, we've seen it already. So although we lost the game on Sunday, a few of the results went our way. Um, and um, it, the gap could have been closed a little bit more, but actually, because of some of the results, we've still got the the five points advantage at the top. So there's going to be teams drop points in in a, in a lot of places, and we and that's something we've told the players as well. Is is it? I think as long as we focus on what we're doing week in and week out, um, I'm sure like as as down below us, hopefully, like there's going to be points dropped etc so we just need to focus on us and make sure that we get the three points um each sunday and and then that's we can control that right but we can't control all the other results that happens and the ultimate aim is also to get yourselves into the top flight and um try and um, establish yourself there but it would be unfair me to ask you how you think you'll do when you're not there yet so i'll skip mm-hmm. by that until we'll maybe share that for another day um but with regards to the players that you've You've got, I mean, obviously, you'd love to keep them all long term, but how much would you love to see some of them, um, some of your better players, go and test themselves at an even higher level? Like, say, Caroline Weir's doing it, Man City, and then Cuthbert's doing it, um, Chelsea is two examples. Yeah, and that, yeah, that's the ultimate dream, isn't it? As long as, like, and that's what, 
like one of the the things that I'm a believer in is, is thinking of them as individual people and players as opposed to them being part of this team and it's the same and that's something that the men's team look Aberdeen men's team are something that they know that they can't always keep a hold of their best players and the youth academy have, have produced some great players that have moved on and um, and 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 done fantastically well in England etc so it's no different for the women's game I mean it, it, you know it would be fantastic to see them doing really well in football and and probably what the ultimate dream is to see them, you know, playing for Scotland in the in a major tournament or something. I think that's probably, as a coach, my ultimate dream is to see one of those players achieving that. And they're already doing that at youth level. And um, so, yeah, and there's so many, like we've already spoke about, Rachel Corsi, Kim Little, Rachel McLaughlin that have come from the north. So, yeah, look, it would be great to see more of those doing that in the future. Yeah, it would, be, it would be good to see um, at a major tournament in future years where um, Aberdeen's listed along the likes of Man City, Glasgow City, um, Utah Royals, etc. So maybe one day that will happen. So um, um, before I'll I'll wrap up shortly with um, some quite fast questions. But before I do, um, what, what do you think the future um, for Aberdeen women looks like? Uh, yeah, I think it's going to be really bright. I think... Um, we've definitely got a really young, talented squad that if if they can grow up and keep playing together along with some of our experienced players, I think um, it's going to be a bright future. I think the club itself, like we've said, they've got so many fantastic fans um, and the club itself have already shown what they're capable of in terms of like all the community engagement that they do. And I think there's a real difference between Aberdeen as a football club to a lot of other football clubs, in my opinion. Obviously, I'm going to say that, and you maybe are too if you're a, a supporter. But yeah, look, Aberdeen's special, and I think like yeah. the club it will 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 make sure that the women's team are up up there and challenging and, and doing all that they can to make sure that that happens because you know Aberdeen have got like a a history of that, and that's something that they want to make sure that they do is, is that we're been the best that we can be um, along with the men's team so yeah I think it's really exciting and even if I play a tiny part in that then you know that's my dream come true really. Yeah well you're doing more than playing a tiny part right now Emma with the team top of the league and keep up the good work so I'll round off a, a few quite fair questions um, so first of all what's your favourite tipple? Oh I'm a gin drinker so anything flavoured gin um, I'm actually loving amaretto gin at the moment so an amaretto gin with tonic loads of ice sounds good what would be your death row meal oh we were talking about that this the other day I actually think it'll be the TGI sesame chicken I honestly love that yeah I don't know what it is Um, so yeah whenever I'm eating out uh, the the TGI sesame chicken for sure wow and would that be with a gin on the side (laughs) yeah that would be even better Definitely. Um, we love our pie chat in the podcast. What's your favourite pie? My favourite macaroni pie. Really? That seems quite popular. Yeah. I'm not I'll a macaroni a... person, to be fair, so no. maybe I don't get so concept. One of the other guys in the podcast likes macaroni, likes a pie, but doesn't think the two mix, but seems to be popular with a few no. people recently. Definitely. Yeah. Um, what's been your best um, game as a manager? That's a difficult one. I think when the Spartans game, like when we beat Spartans, um, obviously we were two leagues below them in the Scottish Cup um, and we were 
I think we were down 1-0 and we came back to beat them 2-1 and just to get into the quarterfinal of the Scottish Cup and to beat an SWPL1 team in your first season, that was pretty special. Yeah, that, that's a good achievement and hopefully the next time will be a final. Um, so which manager would you say is your biggest inspiration? It's difficult. I um, like uh, Lots of different managers inspire, inspire me in different ways, so I don't... Um, I think... And it's difficult because I think you don't always know the person, really. I think in order to inspire, you've got to know them. So I would definitely say locally, um, Pauline McDonald, who I work with a lot, definitely inspires me. And Shelley Kerr, obviously, um, out with that, I would say nationally, Emma Hayes and what she's managed to achieve at Chelsea and for women's football definitely inspires me as well. And in terms of your own personal ambitions, um, you know, if you were to, if you could manage any league, um, where would you go? Oh, I never actually thought of that one. Um, right now, I would definitely say, I would it would be in the English Women's League because I think at the moment that's the most exciting league in the world. So I'd definitely love to be there. Yeah, but um, stay at Aberdeen a while longer and maybe if you achieve a few things then you could end up going down there. And Christmas is coming up in a few weeks, um, so what's um, your favourite Christmas movie? Oh, The Grinch. Totally The Grinch. What version? Yeah. The, the one with Jim Carrey or the recent one? No, definitely know? Jim Carrey. Yeah, yeah. yeah. for and, sure. And what's your favourite Christmas song? I hate them all. Is that bad? I'm not. I, I <laughs> not hate Christmas songs. I like. Do, do you know what? Like, I've never. We need to figure out. Somebody needs to write a modern Christmas song that we're all going to like. Is going to stick in our head because we we'll always seem to just listen to the same ones all the time that are decades old. I, I think that, that's the thing. No, I, I get. I totally get where you're coming from because it needs someone to write one really good one. I think there's been a few naff ones over the last couple of years. So yeah, you're right. Um, you make a great the point. Only, this is really embarrassing, but the Justin Bieber um, Christmas album is is probably okay. I can see your face at me right now, but <laughs> I'm not a Justin Bieber fan at all. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't think he would be, but yeah. His album, his Christmas album is okay. Yeah, each their own. And uh, obviously Scotland, um, the men's team qualify for your uh, 2020. What artist would you like to see pen the new song for that? Mm. Everyone's saying that, like Andy Considine. I've not actually heard him sing before, but obviously he's great in a music video. So why don't we just throw Andy Considine in and get him to sing it as well? Because then it'll definitely hit number one. Yeah, I really hope um, that he reaches the squad. Um, and no doubt he'll have a part to play in a video. Um, I think the, the last time Scotland played at a major tournament, um, Colin Henry was doing keep you up. He's at Presswick Airport for the, the video, don't come home too soon. So I think, <laughs> I don't know how Andy Constantine dressed the women um, again with them. Um, <laughs> so, uh, it's 2020, let's just do it. Ah, exactly. Well, it worked for him. Well, look at the phenomenon of the sun because of him. So, uh, we'll wait and see. But listen, thanks very much for your time, Emma. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. Um, as an Aberdeen fan, good luck to the um, women's team for the rest of the season. And hopefully this time next year we'll be in SWPL1. Yeah. And thanks so much for obviously supporting the, the women's game. It, like, it means so much to so many people. Um, and yeah, we'll try. Um, maybe it's a year too soon so whatever happens happens for a reason and I believe that
Yeah, definitely. Well, hopefully, um, hopefully when it all, when people are back in, no, I have I have made my, my mission to try and go to a women's game at some point. So maybe one um, day I'll, I'll be I'll be there. But I'll, thanks very much for your I'll time. I'll hold Emma. you to that. Thanks, Sean. Keep in take, touch. Okay. Bye. Bye. 